0: Hello everyone, Zach here from the Carnival of Randomness on behalf of our sponsor, Upsitnik & Associates. In these unprecedented times, we reflect on our future, both in the next few weeks and months, but also the upcoming years and decades. And it's time to prepare for that future. Upsitnik & Associates has been contacted by many healthcare workers, as well as old and new clients, to prepare wills, powers of attorney, and advanced directives, also called a living will. All of you need these documents. So don't say you don't have any assets to speak of, no children, or other dependents. Regardless of the circumstances now, you will need a will for today and tomorrow. Al Upsitnik feels so strongly about having wills and other needed documents prepared that Upsitnik and Associates can prepare your will, power of attorney, and living will at no charge, you heard that correct, no charge until the end of 2020. No hidden fees or gimmicks. Al feels so strongly about planning for the future at this time that he is willing to assist you with your future. Trust Obsitnikin & Associates, attorneys for 42 years, from the Supreme Court to Alaska and everywhere in between. You can find them online, OpsitnicksLaw.com, on Facebook, Obsitnikin & Associates, or call them toll-free, 1-866-391-3299, to prepare for your future.
1: Hi everybody, and. It's 2020, so the Carnival of Randomness is coming to you just outside of the Twilight Zone. And I'm Rob, and with me is proof again that a drummer can walk and chew gum at the same time. (laughs) Hi, Greg. Hi. And our guest this week, I describe his work as a virtual psychedelic cornucopia stew of beauty. He brings up my favorite hero, Zontar, and one of my songwriting idols, Jeffrey Lee Pierce, among others. But we're very glad to have Kim Draheim. Hi, Kim. I'll do. Mm-hmm. And you said you had a drummer joke, so I we do. have to torture
2: Greg. <laughs> now here, here's my favorite drummer joke.
1: Can't wait.
2: Yeah. <laughs> this uh, band was, this drummer was really complaining because everybody in his band was really on him. And uh, he was pretty depressed about it. And he said, yeah, he says, everybody in the band says, says, you know, you got to catch up with the beat. You're always late. You're always late. And it turns out he got so depressed about it, he threw himself behind a train.
3: <laughs> oh! <Whoa. laughs> I do
1: <laughs> oh, you tell us a little bit about yourself for the audience out in podcast land. Well,
2: uh, let's see. Uh, I'm a member of the band, the Infrared Radiation Orchestra. Awesome band. Um, I play guitar. Um, <coughs> I, I write songs. I'm one of the two, one of the three singers in the band. Uh, I've been yeah, this. Uh, I've been playing nonstop stop rock and roll, playing live, playing for money for 50 years. This was my 50th anniversary of playing out live. And in fact, one of the shows we had to cancel because of the uh, plague was um, a celebration of my 50 straight years in showbiz. And uh, hopefully we'll make that up after there's a vaccine.
1: That's what I say. I tell people and people who listen to this show hopefully are smart so we don't have to get at the Illuminati forcing us to wear masks <laughs> to enslave us and make us all you know, surfs on the farm or whatever, but I basically think we have to try to be strong, we're in this together, and we have to wait for Vexy. You can okay? surf on a farm? Sure. Oh okay. Hey, yeah, whatever. I when I try to use big words <laughs> I voy But what was then? What was your first gig? You remember? Uh my first
2: paying gig was uh playing uh, I I my childhood home was right across the road from what is now the New York chiropractic College in Seneca Falls but it was originally the um, it was originally Eisenhower Liberal arts College and I uh, my first gig when I was 16 was playing in the student lounge over there for 50 bucks uh, solo my first uh, paying rock and roll gig was a year later with my first band Uptown dog food which I still maintain True. is possibly the greatest rock and roll band name of all time i would still if you made Mm.
1: shirts i would buy one (laughs) Uh,
2: i just found the poster from that very very first show which was a uh, german club dance at my high school and uh uptown dog food uh uh, we performed mostly cover tunes uh uh, some some fairly standard stuff but, uh, but we also did um the blimp by captain beefheart our big set closer was um uh, Heroin by the Velvet Underground. Now, we did a fair number of originals. Um, we were not a normal band. <laughs> um, and our and our our very last show, which was at, um, oh, was it Union Springs High School or? Now this is really dating me. Back when I was a youngster and first starting out, high schools had a live band every weekend. Right. Every weekend there were gigs, often Friday and Saturday. The first time I played out live in a band, which was Uptown Dog Food, and we were horrible, we were paid $650 to play for 90 minutes. And I remember being angry because our friends in the band Slees got $1,000 when they played a dance at our high school. That's wow. what that's what bands used to get paid back then. <laughs>
3: I did one at uh my high school too, kearney. I don't know if it, Andy, were you there? You might have been there. <laughs> um yeah, we I think we got 400. But it was only cuz I was tight with somebody in the student council and I got in there. We I had my everybody, feedback everybody did one at that back then <laughs> when back then when there was no
2: competition from things like video games or home computers or and there was no such thing as DJs, people with would have thought it was ridiculous that you would pay somebody to come someplace and play records. You right. don't pay for that. That's called a sock hop, and that's <laughs> <It's> free. <laughs> uh, if there was a live band playing, and the drinking age was 21, which doesn't make any difference with the high school, but...
1: Oh, no, I drank a lot more when I was underage, but, but, <laughs> but, but,
2: but my point being, that back then, if there was a band playing someplace,
1: you went. People went. This is my dear friend, Oz Esborn. He's going to be on one week. We were talking, he grew up in a small town, and what he said When A-Band came, everybody went because there was nothing else to do. Absolutely. And I saw one of the most lovely signs. My work takes me on the road a lot in upstate New York going towards Cicero. There was a sign, there was a bowling alley, and it had the first part. I I don't make this up. It said, Friday night, gun raffle and sock hop (laughs) (laughs) at the bowling alley.
2: Absolutely. The the last gig that uh, Uptown Dog Food played was a, a New Year's Eve party at a place called Jokers in Auburn. Which held about two thousand people, and we made fifteen hundred bucks, and we were just a really crappy ass high school band. Some people uh, want music
1: to dance to, though. You yeah. figure that's the see. It's part of it's the joy, though, too. I think like my band feedback. We called it that because our amps were like fifteen bucks, and we sucked. But, but just I still think about what we played in high school, and it's just the fun of being on stage and playing and see people. Sort of like not just stove pies in or something.
3: Have you ever played the venerable FNAs in Seneca Falls? Oh, That'd God, yes. Great, that's actually a great bar to play. I like that bar.
1: But that was, what was your first bar gig then? Was that, and you said like.
3: Uh, that would also
2: have been Uptown Dog yeah. Food. Uh, we played the uh, VFW Post in Auburn. We, play, we played maybe four or five high school dances around. Uh, I remember when we played Union Springs High School. That was Jordan Elbridge High School. That was our last gig. When we played Union Springs High School, I remember one of the chaperones who was the music teacher at Union Springs walked over to me and Steve McAvoy, the other guitar player in the band, visibly irate, and walked up to us and very sternly said to us, Well, young men, it's fairly obvious to me that you play loud to cover up the fact that you can't play well. (laughs) And I remember Steve looking at her and nodding his head and going, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's rock <and> roll,
1: dude. <laughs> i think also you've had one of the best you know, the way you talk about covering songs compared to originals because i remember like one of my favorite covers of yours is from your band static cling white rabbit i've always loved that but you had the idea you can only write so many good songs a year there's all these great songs out there
2: well i i, I you know in a lot of ways i'm just an old-fashioned hippie and i really believe it's all just one big song um you know it's kind of a hippie idea i don't to me it doesn't matter whether i wrote it or uh lennon mccartney wrote it or jagger richards or bob dylan it's all one song There's only 12 yeah. notes to work with Very what true. do you do with it you know and and, and you know this will sound arrogant and i don't really care but i will tell you that infrared radiations orchestras cover tunes are more original than a lot of bands oh songs. i remember
1: listening to i have the shirt on from your cover album a lot of them I listen to. This is the way they should have done them. And that's not being arrogant. Oh, no, no, very it's just inventive,
3: good. very inventive arrangements. Yeah. I know. Like well, I, I, I you together. know, I'm a huge
2: Neil Young fan. No disrespect men, mm-hmm. but when we do Powderfinger, in the third verse where it, uh, um, I forget how it goes, but but we do a stop there, and I remember, and I remember when I came up with that idea to do that stop there. How did Neil Young not hear that you're supposed to do a stop there? <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and you know, I, 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 I just you know, it, to me, it's all just it's all just raw material to work with. Doesn't matter doesn't matter to me who wrote it. Um, you know, some of our, our, we I've never I've never been in a cover band because I've never done a straight cover. Yeah, I, I I have no interest in doing a straight cover. Now, some of those covers that I've done over the years, I've only changed them a little, and some I've changed a lot. But I've never done a straight cover. Um, I people have invited me to play you with a band, sit in with a band, but they've been, they, you know, I remember I was invited to sit in with a band in Ithaca that that doesn't, um, they're a Paul Butterfield blues band tribute, and they, they wanted me to play with them on um, East West, the long improvisational thing, but they wanted me to learn Mike Bloomfield's guitar lines, and I'm like, you know, at first I'd said yes to doing it because I thought we were going to improvise. But I'm not going to sit down and learn his guitar I have no interest in doing that Go home and listen to the record
1: Yeah, I've been using that with my friend Rob Mount Where we talked about the difference between covering songs and being a tribute band When you're a tribute band, people come out They want to hear it note for note They just want to have regurgitation of that band When you're doing cover songs, you put your own spin on Like you do You just say, okay, I like your version of Sounds of Silence (laughs) Which I won with the pumpkin drawing In one of your shows I'm very proud about that
3: Cool Okay, I got to throw this in. So That's what you're here for. <laughs> I, recently, Susie Willpower has expressed interest in some of these uh, old songs that I wrote. So they were written quite a few years ago, but, you know, I don't do much writing in these other bands because I figure I'm like the George Harrison in all these bands, you know, with these great writers. But, uh, so anyway, there's a couple songs, and they had I had a girl vocalist, so, you know, Frank DeBlaze heard him once, and we were, I was showing him to him or something. He goes, that would be great for Susie. So like, about took me about a year to finally say, hey, let's try these. Well, anyway, but one of the covers I want to do is a, a, an arrangement of um, I Am a Rock. So it's another Simon and Garfungal that people don't really, but it's a, I'm it's, a, rock, it's a I'm real f- island of rock. big, no big, pain. heavy groove. Yeah, like, you know, but it's an alienation. It's very punky, really, if you think about the lyrics. It's alienation and uh you know, not fitting in and all that kind of stuff. So I came up with like an arrangement for that. Hopefully we can we'll do that sometime.
1: Yeah, and I know you played at the Neil Young shows almost every year. Yep. And you always give it your own spin, as I said, and that's and those are fun. You played at them. You had to play at them. I've you never did. done any of those. Because I know Susie's no. played there and everything
3: else. Yeah, I, I do the George Harrison ones. And don't. And I mean, George
1: Harrison was it. a really good writer too. Don't knock him. Right, but I'm just saying. You should you have know. said, that "While I was
3: the Ringo star." <laughs> no,
2: one of one of my favorite mm-hmm. covers that I've ever done is Static Cling used to do a cover of uh, "Beware of Darkness." That was <laughs> great song. Yeah, what a great song that is, and and a really fun
1: cover to do. It's because I've been bored, and everybody's been bored during. The whole pandemic, I've been tossing out, I usually don't do audience participation, but I've been tossing out every now and then questions on Facebook. And one of them I asked about, what was your favorite solo Beatles album? I said, all things must pass. You know, that's the thing. So I think George is a really good songwriter.
3: Uh, Anybody can write, you know, Two albums worth the stuff. I mean, three, Well, he probably had them all blocked three, up
1: because Lennon and McCartney yeah. wanted to record stuff.
3: Well, that's what I meant. You know, it's like, here's your one song. Go ahead, go for it. That's know? what I said. <laughs> we're like,
1: we're old, but we've seen the great shows and the great bands. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's the thing, and that's one of the questions I was thinking about. How? Okay, we have music 2020 from when you started and we were kids. How is what would you say like the major changes are in the whole business and whole band starting and you Produ- see your eyes go <laughs>
3: producers running the show instead of the musicians actually trying to come up with something
2: yeah, yeah. talking about this is just going to make me sound like an old fart but it's uh, okay that's what we're, <laughs> the, we're <laughs> the, <laughs> the old <laughs> fart <laughs> we're in- the
1: lonely farts club uh, band here don't worry about what the
2: music industry has devolved <laughs> into is just just beyond disgusting um sorry we have an emergency outcome. <laughs> one, one, thing I, one thing, one, one thing, you know, when I get into this discussion, a lot of times, you know, my wife and other people say, oh, you're just an old fart, blah, blah, blah. You, oh, it was all better in the old days. Well, one example I give, back in the 60s, Capitol Records had the Beatles, and that was their cash cow. They also had Quicksilver Messenger Service. Quicksilver Messenger Service never made them any money at all. It broke, they broke even at best. But Quicksilver Messenger Service's first album was the first rock and roll album that ever got a five-star review in Downbeat. And Downbeat always looked down their nose at rock and roll. They grudgingly started reviewing it in the 60s. But, you know, a five-star review for a rock band just didn't happen. And when Quicksilver got that five-star review, it meant something to Capitol you know they they took out a big full page ad in in, in the trades announcing this because they were pro- because the music meant something to them today unless it's selling that means nothing that's what them. i would say the only thing that matters to a record company now is sales and
1: the one thing i read when i read keith richards bio and i thought it was very good and he was talking it almost seemed like people were looking if you were an artist that time around there and you got heard you would go on and you'd be Playing your trip like the Beatles did in Hamburg, and everybody'd be playing, and they would look the music would matter now, okay, does that person have the look Can they sell? you know, do a couple crappy albums, then we'll just toss them away just as long as you sell well and, and i I've heard it said many times that
2: um in today's market, Bob Dylan would have been dropped after his second album. those first two albums didn't didn't sell enough for yeah. a major label to keep him on the roster. He would have been dropped, but back then, there was a thing like called believing in your artist and giving them time to find an audience it was still a business you know it was still probably a fairly crappy business but at least there was some people in, in record labels who cared about
1: music that is not... yeah and the idea is too it's like your first album probably was not going to sell and i'm actually thinking of dylan's first album i think that's the only time i've heard house of the rising sun sung from the female perspective because <laughs> i listen to that album an awful lot but it seems like, okay, we understand you're going to have to grow as an artist. Now it's like sell one, next one half sales, next one you're gone, next one you're working at a convenience store, basically. And who the heck are you? There's no staying power. Yeah, and I don't think because there's not as much, because there's not, the talent isn't there, the development isn't there. No,
2: the artist development is... You know that that's supposed to all be done in advance by management and producers, and you're supposed to deliver gold. And if you can't deliver gold, hit the bricks.
1: And honestly, who would have ever signed Captain Beefheart? Exactly. And I would ask you, like, even Plank is a Mask replica. I just absolutely love. And I was told people either you're going to love it or you're not going to get it. I fell in love with his music. How how difficult is that to play, though? If you've done covers, oh my god. Because I heard like the Magic Band did not want to reunite to do his Gene because they didn't want to learn it all. Well,
2: probably one of the simplest ones on there is the
1: blimp, which is a large part of the reason
2: why that's a song we did, um, and we did a very simplified version of it. But but the music in general on that album is you know <laughs> is e- extremely advanced and and very very difficult and uh, a real gas to read about. Captain Beefheart's one of the my heroes that I actually got to meet. And talked to for quite a while. I talked to him for over a half an hour on the streets of Boston in 1972, um,
1: which was an interesting conversation. Any good insights from him? Good well, old Don Van Vliet there. <laughs> well,
2: it, it, it is interesting because I've heard what a what an incredible taskmaster he was. And But one thing I did read, and, and I also have a friend who had a lot of personal interaction with him, who actually booked a show and said he was a real jerk and real hard to work with. But one thing I have heard that members of the Magic Band have said was that um, Captain Beefheart and Don Van Vliet were two different people. And Don Van Vliet was a sweetheart of a guy, and Captain Beefheart was a tyrant. It was like that
1: Jekyll and Hyde. Right, and my friend,
2: I think, from what he tells me, he was dealing with Captain Beefheart. (laughs) I met Don Van Vliet, and Don Van Vliet was a really really nice guy and talked my ear off. As a matter of fact... He was late for a radio interview because he was talking to me, and he was the one who kept talking. And his wife and Zoothorn Rollo, Bill harkle rode were with him. And they're like, Come on down, we gotta go, we gotta go, we're gonna be late for the interview. And I remember Beefheart saying, I'm talking to a fan. He's way more important than any interview.
1: <laughs> I had that with Dick Dale. I went before his show, I went to meet him with House of Guitars. He was two hours late. Comes in. <clears throat> we start talking. I asked him about surf guitar and he said, Well, you know, I played left-handed, and a lot of people thought I started this with Link Ray. Right? People are looking at me behind me, like, I'm gonna we're going to jump this guy when he goes out, because we're talking, like, for 20 minutes. By the time we were over, he was inviting me to his house in Big Sur.
2: Gene Clark from the Birds invited me to stop at his house. Uh, I opened for him at the Rongovian Embassy and had dinner with him, and he was super nice, too. And he, uh, he invited me to stop. He gave me his home address and phone number and told me to get in touch with him if I was ever in LA. And I think it was less than two years after that that he died, but I I still carry his phone number with me.
1: It's always cool, it's always cool having, I was actually talking to a friend of mine about this of some interaction with musicians. It's just good to see them on a human level even and through the years and everything. And I remember one story though, in terms of difficult musicians, my friend Greg Townsend, he said he was recording next to Van Morrison. And he could hear him throwing musicians out right and left if they got the word wrong, like the wrong note. Yeah, Van Van's known
2: for being a little bit um, prickly. Yeah. Um, what, what's what's the policy on these podcasts? As far as uh, you can swear s- all you want, yeah, I swear all I want.
1: yeah, we're rated for that's why everybody I, enjoys it. Like radio people love it because they could say fuck. Well,
2: <laughs> i uh, i have a I have a Van Morrison bootleg, the title of which is. Uh, um, go fuck yourself. And I thought, <laughs>
3: okay,
2: then. I, oh, I, 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 I hope, I hope he says that at some point in this bootleg. I hope it's an interaction between him and the audience. And it is. Somebody, somebody's calling out for uh, for one of the hits, and Van saying. Uh, our drummer was kidnapped. He's back. Drum roll, please. And Van Van, Van <laughs> saying, "I'm going to play what I want. I'm going to play what I want to play. If you don't like it, go fuck yourself."
1: I'm like, yeah, that's why. It's what? like this one. I have this one Rocky Erickson. It has to be a bootleg. It's called "Don't Knock the Rock." He's just. It's like one of those things that like, like musicians do, where they just all of a sudden in the studio start jamming. Probably shouldn't have been released. He's just doing old songs. You can just hear him because Rocky's one of my <laughs> idols. Me too. But the 16th, I mean, the 13th for Elevators and Rocky. And then when I saw You're Going to Miss Me when I'm gone, the documentary made me very sad. But I'm glad he's getting some appreciation.
2: Do you have his last album? Yeah. Yeah. And the liner notes to that are just just amazing. And the fact that he reconnected with the mother of his son and ended up marrying her after they'd been apart for, what, 40 years or something
1: like that? Wow. Well, I was watching, like Sven Ghoulie was on, they had Creature from the Adam Brain, and they said, a movie good enough, Rocky wrote a song about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the other one that I've always really liked, and I've always appreciated, that you've liked him, and you've written a song about him, you've covered Sex Beat, is Jeffrey Lee Pierce. Oh. And I try to get the word out, you must like him, I hope. Who? Oh, drummers. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey Lee Gun Lee. Club, Jeffrey Lee Pierce. Never heard of it. <laughs>
3: Okay, uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> I'm not a big fringe music person. I have to He's be not, honest with I would with call it. it. I don't
1: know what, what you'd call it. Swamp rock. Just, just I've always the problem with well, Jeff I, Lee, I think. I think. Uh, you know, it's
2: really, really limiting to say this, but I think, especially the early stuff, is kind of blues punk, and he, they were really. Well, I had.
1: I tried. I have friends, and I grew up in my generation. Was well, that I'm time with out. the <laughs> the hair bands, the metal of the '80s? So I tried to give. I used to be called all kinds of horrifying names in high school Mm -hmm. because of my music taste. And I would try to make them tapes of Gun Club, and I would just get the response, this music sucks. And all I would say was, either you get the voice or you don't. Maybe the voice turns some people off. I like his voice. To me, and this is kind of a
2: lofty comparison, but to me, it, it, it... It hits me kind of the same way Billie Holiday's voice does. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's it's got that certain flatness. Whale, though too. Yeah, and, and 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 I just I just love his songwriting, and you know that, that that album kind of reminds me of the old times too because that's when everything that was it was I bought that first album it was pre CDs, and I remember when albums were twelve by twelve inches, and a lot of times you could take a chance on just how cool an album cover looked.
1: Those right. days are
2: gone. Oh yeah, yeah I would sure. go down,
1: literally go anywhere like Lakeshore Record Exchange, House of Guitars, and use my paperboy money. And if the album looked cool, I would buy it. I think the first one I ever bought was Atomic Rooster, because I liked the cover. That was a cool cover.
2: Well, I, I walked into a record store in Chicago and I saw three albums. I didn't know anything about any of them. Uh, Well, I I, I knew something about one of them, but uh, two of them I bought strictly on the cover, and one was the first Gun Club album, and the other one was an album uh, called La Rocca by Snips, who was Steve Parsons, who was the lead singer in Sharks. uh, But anyway, two of my all-time favorite albums, and the third album I bought that day was was the SVT album, which was the uh, three-piece punk band from San Francisco that Jack Cassidy from Jefferson Airplane was the bass player in because Jack was one of the few people from the 60s who didn't run screaming out the door when punk came along. <laughs> Instead, he went and joined a punk band. I've always enjoyed the <laughs> idea I
1: tell people of music. I use the the quote from Duke Ellington, there's either good music or bad music. And what I like is your horizons expand and expand. I call some albums gateway drugs. You just like this music. Then you pick some other genre. Wow, I like that. You go on to something else oh yeah absolutely. that's what i love if you have an open mind if you don't just get stuck in well i have to listen to top 40 you know whatever oh yeah the, the, people have often asked me you know
2: well ever since i've been was 10 years old alls i've ever wanted with my disposable cash is records that's it you know when, when i was a kid my parents all all they would get for me for for christmas is i give them a list of a thousand albums i wanted and, and they'd say, well, why'd you give us a list of a 1,000 albums? We're not going to buy. It was always 1,000. I said, because I want to be surprised. Well, so I, I gave <laughs> a list of a 1,000 albums. I have no idea which one. you're going to I used to say,
1: like, my buddies and I, we would go to Lakeshore Record Exchange. We'd be the guys. We'd come in. Ron Stein was the owner. We'd come in on Saturday. What do you got? What do you got for us? And we'd be the guys. We'd have a stack like this. It would be Hank Williams on top, Bloister Cult in the middle, and Slayer on the bottom. Mm. That would be us. We would just grab everything. I saw the Zombies, like the cover. Buy it you know where people would just get pigeonholed into whatever they're supposed to listen to right you know and sometimes it be the bias sometimes if it's popular i just step back but you know some popular stuff's good
3: i think my first one was the vanilla fudge the first vanilla fudge album and i got hooked on that stuff i really liked all that the psychedelia did you ever listen though. to his cactus oh yeah his got, cactus got all those too
1: yeah. yeah i've read his book the man is a uh, Sex maniac, basically. <laughs> but he has a quote about, you know, back in the day, we'd see guys and we would compare, you know, the women we got, the drugs we took. Now all we do is go around asking each other what kind of high blood pressure medicine we're on. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> but it was a piece and it was, it was Apathy, then it was a piece because they didn't name, though. Right. But he's been all around. Cactus
3: was a great band. Oh, yeah. There was a guy from Rochester I played, I guess, on their live album. that yeah, Warner Fritchings guy. He's from this area. That but actually,
1: yeah, the one good story you told me, if you remember, I guess from you I learned, I guess Bowie didn't like Morrison. Oh, yeah. You have yeah, to tell, yeah. I just was laughing about this. Thinking about this
2: well, this is Steve McAvoy, who was the leader of my first band, Uptown Dog Food. And um, we saw Bowie here on the Diamond Dogs tour. It was the next tour. He when got, he got oh, no, did no, It was the next yet. year he got arrested. The Diamond, but uh, we saw him at the Diamond Dogs tour, and afterwards... Steve McAvoy ended up, well, we ended up in the um, hotel bar where Bowie was after the show. And, you know, he had had his entourage with him and a bunch of people kind of looking and pointing. And, and, you know, so, but McAvoy went up to him, and McAvoy's a Doors fanatic. (laughs) And he said to (laughs) Bowie, um, he goes, Oh, great concert. We're big fans. He goes, "Uh, I hear a lot of uh, Doors influence in your music. And Bowie said, I loathe the doors. <laughs> and the boy said, Oh fuck you
1: <laughs> <laughs> I had my own I, I, Tom Cohen had Neil in his play. So I had my Bonzo Doodah Dog Band things. He played Sir Robin, so I went up to him and I said something about Eric Idle. I didn't realize they must be having a lawsuit or something. Oh jeez. Because I got the I got the look of death. <laughs> and you said, I didn't know. I didn't know.
2: <laughs> yeah, my my friend had a similar experience, so uh, I, I, they have since uh, buried the hatchet and are friendly again, but uh, he saw Martin Barr perform in a store in uh, Portland, Oregon, and went up and asked him about Mick Abrams, and I guess I guess Martin Barr went off on There was him. this oh, one boy. thing I saw on
1: PBS about Jethro Tull over the years, and all the members, so you wonder how... Well, I guess there was very bad blood between Barr and Abrams for many years, but I'll... Evidently, they're friends now. Only thing I would look at is—I mean, I, would, I suppose I would look at as, how would the person know?
3: That's the only thing. But still, it's like oops. <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of a weird question, though. I mean, well, what do you think of your predecessor? And well, you know, I mean, I guess if you're asking a specific, have you did were you building on what he started or something like that? But to just like, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know what the guy asked. Or the him
1: classic was. frenemies, uh, Dave Edmonds and Nick Lowe. When I saw them what here. I mean? It was, Lowe played, this was at the Bombay Bicycle Club the first time, and Edmonds, I don't remember if the weather was terrible or not, nobody was there. So then when Lowe played, it was packed. And now, I don't know if it I can't remember years ago if it was the weather or what, because when he played a montage with Marshall Crenshaw, it was sold out for two shows. But anyways, I'm talking to Lowe, and he, I said, I saw Edmonds here, and he looks at me, he was really, cons- how did he draw? And he got a big smile on his face. Yeah. <laughs> But I know you've, you've known some members of Blue Oyster Cult, haven't you? Yeah,
2: okay. I, I, well, that, that came from being in a band with Helen Wheels, and she was part of the Blue Oyster Cult camp. I tell the story, and I'll explain it. I know the guys from Blue Oyster Cult because they're short. That's the reason I know them. <laughs> and I'll explain that. Everybody in Blue Oyster Cult, the original lineup, is real short. Uh, Alan Lanier was like five five, and he towered over the rest of the band. Um, uh, Buck Dharma is five foot tall. Um,
1: Donald Rosier, is
2: he in there the first? Yeah, band? Don Roser's like five three. Um, Damn. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Joe Bouchard's like five two, and Albert Bouchard's like five one. So they're all really, really short guys. So they were they were. Albert was uh, at Stony Brook College, <laughs> and he was a sophomore and Helen Wheels was a freshman and Helen Wheels is four foot eleven, And um, I ended up in a band with her. But back when they were in college, one of Elbert's friends came to him and said, oh my God, Elbert, there's this really hot new freshman and she's even shorter than you. <laughs> and Elbert's like, I gotta meet her. And they, <laughs> ended up, they ended up being a couple for quite a while. And then after they weren't a couple anymore, they were still friends. And she lived in the communal BOC house she sold their uh, black leather clothes. She was a seamstress. And she was a poet, and she wrote a lot of their lyrics. She wrote lyrics for six songs. And if you see on any Blue Oyster Cult, some of them are credited to H. Wheels, and some of them are credited to her real name, H. Robbins. And she wrote the lyrics for Tattoo Vampire, which was the B-side of Don't Fear the Reaper. And writing the lyrics for that made her more money than her entire musical career combined. But anyway, she had a band that was kind of at the top of the bubble of the CBGB's, Max's bands that didn't get signed, she was right on that edge, and probably would have been signed, except she had a big showcase show for Columbia Records, and the night before the performance, her guitar player and her drummer found out that she was sleeping with both of them,
3: oh boy. and they
2: had a big blow-up, and they both quit, so she had to play with pickup musicians for this big showcase gig, and so that that fell through and and uh but then many years and then she retired from music she was a regular on the cbgb's max's scene and then uh she retired i i met her through a weird set of circumstances and talked her out of retirement and put a band together with her she ended up the girlfriend of will who used to have Mon- i know oh, this is
1: where i my yeah, connection you know, with used her to is- have
2: monty's crown
1: because i used to work
2: in monty's crown and um she died very young. She died at fifty um, after we'd been together for two, two and a half years. Um, <clears throat> but it was through her that I got to know all the Blue Oyster Cult people because she remained friends with all of them. And um, it was through her that you know I, we got to play at CBGBs, and, and it was, you know, and as a result of my friendship with the Blue Oyster Cult guys, they they've come out and sat in with with my band when we played in New York City. And uh, so I, I, I'm. I know Buck a little bit. I've i know Buck enough to say hello to him and and I. But I know Joe and Al Bouchard fairly well. I have
1: my Helen with Love album. As I remember, I heard the whole story about what happened to her those days. Those were when I was at the Crown. But the one thing I was gonna because there was a story the G man told us. He said the whole more cowbell thing originates from Blue Easter Cult. And I wonder if you've ever heard that before. You know when people yell more cowbell? Oh, bell, yeah, yeah. That's where it's it came from, from okay.
2: Yeah, it's, it's from Saturday Night Live skit where they're recording Don't Fear the Reaper, which has the cowbell, yeah. <laughs> and Albert has kind of a funny story. It's not real funny, but because it's from the actual guy, it's kind of interesting. Albert tells that um, he's the guy playing <laughs> cowbell on that song. <laughs> and he said, and ba- back then, if I wasn't on the road, he said, I watched Saturday Night Live every Saturday night. And he said, and one night, I'm laying on the couch, watching TV, waiting for Saturday Night Live to come on, and I fell asleep. And he goes, and then an hour later, my phone's ringing. And I pick (laughs) up the phone, they're like, Albert, are you watching SNL? And he's like, oh, I fell asleep. Why? And they go, There's a skit on there about you. And he said, And I and I turned to the TV just as the skit was ending. He said, oh, Of course, I've seen it dozens of times since then, but he slept through it the first I time. I love the showed.
1: validation because I got to know Ian McLaughlin a bit when he came to town. So I asked him, I read Ryan Storrs' book, and they said the Faces were the first band to be thrown out of the Holiday Inn. And the way they got around it was they registered as Fleetwood Mac, and then they caught him. So I told Ian McLaughlin, and he looked at me and he said, Rod's got that wrong. We got thrown out of the holiday again. He said, well, it was my fault. I felt like throwing a bunch of stuff out the window. It seemed like a thing to do. But <laughs> he said what we did was we registered first as family because they were on our album. Then they chucked them out. So then we registered, I think it was as the Grateful Dead. Then they, they caught on to us. They love me now. But I loved Ian. But just the idea of <laughs> interacting with them. He was such a sweet fellow Yeah, and everything. But what, are they, what do you do when they yell more cowbell at
3: you? I had a cowbell usually.
2: <laughs> Have you ever had a cowbell pedal? <laughs>
3: I, yeah, I, I tried them a couple times, with like a, if, like a duo or something, if the guy already has one. I don't have one, but... I, uh, they're
2: kind of cool. For a long time in, in Static Kling, I had a drummer who was all the time building weird stuff, <laughs> and he built a cowbell pedal at one That's point. That's a good idea. He yeah, mounted a cowbell and hooked a pedal up to it. He also built a drum kit once that was um, a kick drum, and then he had this big, long... A steel stand that had cymbals and, and toms on it so wow. it was just like this one big stand then he also built himself a, a kick drum that was twice as deep as a normal <laughs> kick drum and those, those are his, big now every They're time well did not like this one this yeah. one was about as as long as that about as deep yeah. as that couch. Oh, wow. <laughs> and i remember we played a gig like that and every time he would hit that kick drum it was deafening for yeah, me it was <laughs> back and, and afterwards he said to us he goes geez I think that new kick drum sounded pretty good I, I mean, think you nailed enough. me I'm with like, one no, I not. think I got
1: nailed with that at one gig I was like standing to the right of the stage oh my and god and blasted like echo through my ears so freaking loud <laughs> but you were mentioning my, above... my, fa- my
2: favorite thing he built though was he took an old ventriloquist dummy <laughs> and hooked a uh, a uh, motor from a mixer up Inside of it, so that he could step on a pedal in this this ventriloquist <laughs> dummy by the side of the oh, stage. Oh, that's great! Just
1: start, start dancing around. That's the theatrical aspect of it. I love it. But the other thing, I would be like you for Christmas. I ask for the only difference. What would I would also ask for comic books, and that was my big thing. And you. I, I really love this. Kim's written a comic book called The Girls and the Star Death and Cisortum. It's actually a story it takes us back to 1977 Halloween with a certain punk band playing with Armin Schaerberg. The House of Guitars are in this. And is this based on reality? Oh, that is 100% it true. It is true? There's, there's that is, I can picture the suit. It's a, I have to read the back for you. A tale of mad genius, rock and roll mayhem, and chicken feathers. Yeah, absolutely. You want to see, the dude wears, he cuts his arms up the singer Gary. Yep. He cuts it up, wears fishnet stockings, silver boots, and chicken feathers. And they play a gig. The House of Guitars, Armin, they're going to have a Halloween concert. And they kick them off, and I don't want to spoil it, but Armin says, that was the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. I'm going to play now. <laughs> yeah, the, the, this is, in my 50 years of
2: good stories rock and roll stories I have, this is the but best story. That is story. you, right? This is the best story.
1: Yeah, yeah. You gotta, I mean, I think that's why I've kept a journal since, like, 1985. Because you write them down, you have some good tales to tell. You got to get them out there and entertain people and have fun.
2: Well, this this is uh, this is this is my best story of all, and this is the comic book that is for sale for five bucks. Which I've
1: got it the first night it was released, of course. Pluck me. Pluck can me. like we we do plugs at the end of the show, but can people still
2: pick this up? Oh, some absolutely, more? absolutely. I'll tell you, they've got a bunch of it at the house of guitars. <laughs> or, or you can buy them from me at infrared gigs if infrared gigs ever happen again. Yeah,
1: that's what we'll get into next. But the thing too is, I actually got very nostalgic for us guitars TV. As if doing <laughs> this, I remember the, like the professor Erwin Corey take. Well, there's a little room where you can go back and relieve yourself. <sighs> and I would go down. I used to live in ronda quite, and I would go walk down there. And Armand's wife was always saying he should clean it up a little. I'd be going through. Oh, there's a Seeds album. There's this album, you know, trying to dig through. <laughs> well, you, you've seen the, the girls' commercial, right? Yeah. Okay. But I loved those. I haven't seen, But I just loved the old commercials and hop-hop
3: and everything. Right. Well, very inventive when they started that. I mean, it, That was the place. Was that was like that.
1: people would like to go amusement parks. My friends and I, when my dad would drive us down the House of Guitars, there was our carnival. Just going to look for cool stuff and dig through. And I always liked the idea, you know, now on the Internet you can go look up, get whatever, of the find. You would find this really cool album or something, and it was just great. It was like a little carnival. And, of course, my brother's band, that's the thing my brother said about Jeffrey Lee Pierce. When he met him, he was very quiet, shy, wanted to lose weight. And there was like a New Math Gardens thing by the bathroom, and I thought that was perfect.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'll tell you who else was very, very shy and reserved and uh,
1: quiet when I met him was uh, Lux. Oh, that's I was going to mention him. That I know, I think Lux and Ivy own a record store, maybe. But there's a story about them that I've heard where New Math played with them at Scourges. And I guess what happened, they went out to Marge's afterwards. And Ivy wore a big leopard skin. There was some drunk there, looked at her, mm-hmm. and was, va, 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 voom! <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, I ran into them at the bop shop on uh, the afternoon of when they were playing here in Rochester. And uh, Ivy was dressed in her stage clothes. You know, in the uh, in the old um, uh, um, uh,
1: village gate. Village gate. gate.
2: Yeah, you know, she's walking around the different shops, all dressed in her, her Arabian Nights pantaloons and, and all <laughs> that stuff. And and Lux was in a pair of jeans and a white button-down Not his shirt wore at the and, show. His, and his uh, um, horn-rimmed glasses, and very and just asking Tom. Uh, you know, about all these old obscure Ford, rockabilly, Ford, well, do you have this one? Or do you have this? And just very, very quiet, very reserved.
1: People don't get it's like you said about Captain Beefheart, it's a performance for a lot of people. It's not the same person on stage as off. Right. You know, Not like you, when you're on stage, you're like a wild man throwing sticks at everybody, and then you, <laughs> you're fairly mellow <laughs> off stage, you know? Yeah,
3: well... Well, for me,
1: <laughs> I've always
2: felt like for a lot of musicians, you know, they live their everyday life, and then they get to cut loose and be somebody else when they get on stage. For me, it's just the opposite. That's the only time I feel like me. Yeah, you know, yeah. The, for me, the, I get... the day-to-day life, the going to work, the collecting a paycheck, yeah. the paying the bills—that's all pretend
3: to that's me. That's all that's like I say. I do. I use
1: my my normal job to fund.
3: My other interests. I mean, and I, and I, I, I still like, like setting up drums. I mean, yeah. when I get sick of that and putting them in the car, that's probably when I'll quit doing it. Yeah.
1: The biggest <laughs> thing I found drag queens because I'm very much into that community, and I could tell the story about hanging out one time at Edibles, going through the whole martini menu, talking with drag queens about the difference between cat and dogs. Uh, but they're in, very shy, you know. Very in person. I, I,
2: I, I was in a band in Chicago, we were at the house band at a drag queen bar for.
1: But did you find them very offstage, different people? Because oh, yeah. yeah very, very shy. Well, very, the, like...
2: the, I, was, I was living in Chicago, and actually we lived in the suburbs, and we had a band, and that's Static Cling 1. That's not the same Static Cling I had here. And we played a few shows, and it went pretty well, and I thought, okay, we're ready to play downtown. So I went driving downtown, and I found this club, Jamie's Elsewhere, and I saw the list of the bands that were um, headlining there, and they were like not the top-tier punk and new wave bands. They were the second-tier. Good bands, but not the top-tier. I thought, well, this is a place maybe we could get into. Maybe we could headline here. So I went in and gave them my sales pitch. And uh, the, the one manager-owner was uh, literally called Fast Eddie. and mm-hmm. literally had a pencil-thin mustache. And... Uh, He kind of bought what I was selling, and he gave us a couple of bookings, and he said, now, he goes, now, do you know about Jamie's Elsewhere? And I could tell by the way he asked it that there's a story here. And I'm not from Chicago. I'd only been there less than a year probably at this point. And I said, well, he goes, well, do you know the history of this place? And I said, no. And he goes, well, we just bought it, and we're going to turn it into a punk rock bar. He goes, but for the past 20 years, it's been one of the main drag queen bars in town. And I'm like, oh, okay. He goes, we're not kicking the drag queens out. We figure we're just, you know, they they like disco music, so we're just going to start booking punk bands, and we figure eventually the drag queens will leave, and the punks will start coming. So your first few gigs here are probably going to be mostly for drag queens. I'm like, okay. So we get in there to play our first show, and the band consists of me, another guitar player, a singer, and a drummer who are all in our mid to late 20s and have been around to some degree, and a 17-year-old bass player from the suburbs who's almost never in his... The only time he's ever been to downtown Chicago is once a year Christmas shopping with his mom. (laughs) He lives in the suburbs, and thats he's he's a suburban kid. So we're in there playing, and if you've been into a a drag queen bar in a good-sized city, you know that some of them are freaking gorgeous. Yeah, (laughs) And some of them are Some some of them look like lumberjacks and chiffon Some of them are freaking gorgeous And he had no clue So we're playing And we take our first break And we're sitting at the bar And this one drag queen is like and, And she's hot She's all over him She's kissing him and rubbing his leg And buying him drinks And he's in heaven And he has no clue it's a guy And he comes over to me and Ed the drummer And he's like oh my god this is so great. I can't believe it. Our first gig downtown and I'm gonna get lucky. I'm gonna get laid. And Ed the drummer's like, Yeah, Randy, you go for it. You go for it. <laughs> he goes back over, they do some more kissing, some more rubbing those legs and, and, and all that stuff. So he comes back over to us, he goes, Oh my god, we gotta play down downtown all the time. This is so great. I can't believe I'm gonna get laid. <laughs> and Ed's like, Yeah, Randy, you go for it, you go for it. So then it's time for the break to be over and for us to go back on stage and I say, Well, time to go back on stage, Randy. And um Steps away from the bar and said, by the way, Randy, you know, your girlfriend there, you know, that's a man, right? You he he had
1: her in a club in old Soho. And he, <laughs> he, he said, what, what do you mean it's a man?
2: I said, it, it's a man, Randy. He goes, no, it's not. She's hot. <clears throat> and I said, Randy, have you noticed that we've got a really good crowd here tonight and the only men in here is us?
3: <laughs> and he
2: looks around. And he sees there's nothing but women in the place. And he goes, oh, my God, you're right. It's all chicks here. I go, Randy, that's because they're all men. And he's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And then I started pointing out some of the ones that had like a 5 o'clock shadow or <laughs> uh, or, or hair on their knuckles. And I'm like, and I said, even the hot ones. And he goes, but she's got tits. I go, yeah, some of them got implants. Some of them are taking hormone shots. Really, Randy? And he's like all dejected. and kind of mopes his way back to the stage. And Ed, the drummer, goes, why'd you tell him?
1: He right. would have gone home with that guy. He wouldn't have found out until they got in bed. It would have been great. It would have been fabulous. But that's why people can't figure me out, because especially in America 2020, we're so divided. I say you have to every, accept everything. Just That's how you experience life and have fun. Where do you get the good stories like yeah. that? But now we have to go to the creation, and, of course, it's very, very, I recommend, if we ever have live shows again, we ever get out of here, uh, Infrared Radiation Orchestra and I've been on the bottom floor with this I mean the pheromone number one (laughs) yeah that's great but you're a mix I can't describe again every album is different and there's so many different types of music in this I love it well
2: you you know uh, Jim Catalano uh, who's the uh, arts and entertainment editor for the Ithaca paper um, what he said about us that I thought was really really nice and uh, he said if you see infrared radiation orchestra, you are going to hear everything good that happened in rock and roll from nineteen sixty six to nineteen seventy six, and you know I, 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 it is all in there. I mean, you know, I, it, it, it's it's a real it's a real melt. You know, the sound is a real melting pot of all, of, of everything, but I think I think it really retains its own personality,
1: even though you hear. Bits and pieces. You of do. So you own. It's. It's. That's the best way to describe it. I have certain bands I'll recommend to people, and they'll say, "What do they like?" And I go, "I can't describe them, but they're just damn good." And you're one of those bands because I can't really say, you know, oh, "Well, do you like this." Some people like, "Okay, you like jazz." Is this? But you're going to get a little bit of everything. And I still remember Stan Merrill going up at that one gig at Love and Cup in 2020. I don't even want to say it, but he had a tinfoil hat on. <laughs> and he's playing the theremin because <laughs> we were going to equate tinfoil hats with. Well, these days, <laughs> you know, make America cheese again.
2: <laughs> you know, I've, I I I started using a theremin in, in my first band in Uptown Dog Food because um, I had a friend who was really into electronics, and he had one of the little kit theremins that he gave to me. And we used to end our set with heroin by the Velvet Underground. And um, I uh, had a Sun 60 amplifier, and at the end of heroin I just had the guitar and the theremin plugged into the same amplifier, I didn't know you weren't supposed to do that, and had everything cranked, and just the screaming feedback from the guitar and the theremin going, and at our very last show, it all caught on fire, (laughs) (laughs) and it had a plastic case, and it it melted my theremin to the top of the amplifier, (laughs) and I remember the police coming through the door just as uh, my amp burst into flames, and that was... That was at the end of Uptown Dog Food's last gig. Well,
3: so, that's the way to go out, though, isn't uh, it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> go on, Greg, go on. Well,
2: if I may tell you about, uh, did you have? Well, I was going to, go ahead. Yeah, we
3: Because have... I have a little story to tell after. Yeah, go on. Then we'll get to Well, my, my
2: favorite story, I, I told you that Uptown Dog Food's first paying gig was that German club dance. But the first time we played in front of people, I went over to Steve McAvoy's house. He was the leader of the band, and we were rehearsing in his basement. And it was my first band. And uh, Steve had to kind of talk me into joining the band. I, I was I was going to be one of those people who wasn't coming out of my bedroom with my guitar till I thought I was ready. And McAvoy basically said to me, there ain't no such thing as ready. You just got to do it. And so he talked me into it. I went to my first band practice. We've been practicing for about a half an hour. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is so great. I'm so glad he talked me into this. And then his father calls from upstairs, and Steve, had his, his bedroom was in the basement, and he said, Stephen, there's a phone call for you. So Steve takes the call in his room, and I only hear Steve's side of the conversation, and I hear him saying, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, okay, all right, yeah, thanks. He hangs up the phone, he turns to the rest of us, he goes, we got a gig. And I'm like, great, when? go, right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, Steve...
1: We've only been a band for 30 minutes, and we only know two songs. He goes, well, stretch them. <laughs> That's the way to do it. A little long jam. Those were the days, too, so, of the long jams. So we so. went
2: across town to this, <laughs> the parents are away for the weekend, high school, backyard, beer party. <laughs> and we set up uh, under the swing set. We hung our PA speakers off the swing set, which were two big, giant horns. We didn't have any. <laughs> <laughs> and we did Sweet Jane for 45 minutes <laughs> and we were about about done with our 45 minute version of Who Do You Love When the Cops Turned Off the Electricity <laughs> to the house. Perfect. We'd
3: ad lived <clears throat> in the depth but Greg, what were you going to say? Well, I was going back to the when we were talking about musicians being <clears throat> one way on stage one way off. When I was in a show band, I got pretty lucky back then. It was It was the early 80s but <clears throat> I got into this show band and played around Florida and all that stuff and then they had a thing in Europe so I got I went to Europe for three months and but and it was all cover stuff but but we had a floor show and it, it was a different kind of band so anyway we were in Atlantic City when we came back and we were playing in the bar and at one time in Resorts International so in the big hall they'd have I saw I saw Paul Anka and I saw a bunch of big acts but one time, Gary Puckett was playing, and he had his new band when he had a couple of his brothers, and this was, you know, after the Union Gap and everything else. So the guitar player started hanging around, and we just got to be buddies a little bit, road buddies. you know. He goes, hey, you want to meet the Mamas and the Papas? I said, oh, sure. So he takes me to another hotel, and I meet them, and I go party in their room, and I get to see the show and all that. But then eventually, for some reason, I found out that the Romantics were playing in New Jersey, at some place called Sandy's, I believe was the name of the bar. And so I talked to Gary and a couple of his guys. Hey, you, just, you guys want to go hear this band? We want to go hear the Romantics. Okay. So we all jump in my station wagon and we go, I mean, there was no, Hey, can you help me out? Hey, I got these songs. Hey, I'm, none of that. It was just, let's go drink some beers and go hear a band. And Hey, thanks a lot. That was fun. See you later. Bye. You know, but uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of these people, like, oh, man, you know, they, 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 you kiss their ass, you want to get a deal, or you want a favor, or you want free tickets. and Sometimes it's just nice, hey, man, just be friends with the them. The only and, one
1: was my dear friend Hayden, God rest his soul. He passed away a couple of years ago. He loved Duran Duran, so I had to go see them at a, at a casino. I casino. And he went up there. He spent the money. We had sweets on top. We passed, and was like, that's Nick Rhodes, isn't it? We ended up getting them partying with us because we had all the booze we smuggled and they didn't have it. What they tried to do was work us up with women. We're like, yeah, they're with us. They're with us. <laughs> Which was just one of those funny stories. Because, you know, you walk by somebody. <laughs> and it was just like, for him, he said it was the greatest night of his life. And I remember one of my friends who was a bartender came up with these banana schnapps killer drinks. So I'm surprised they didn't write a song about them. But so far you've done five infrared radiation over market. Then you've done one's cover. And if you want to hear how cover songs can be done, if we've talked about, get this one. We'll get them all. How many are available? If any of them sold out? Well, um, we actually uh,
2: have uh, found a manufacturer for these discs. So we do, we do an initial run of 400, and we usually sell that out within a couple of years. But this place here, you can do reorders really small quantities and still get them pretty cheap. So we, uh, we try to keep uh, 20 to 30 of them in stock at all times. The original runs have run out of all of them, uh, but, uh, you know, but we, always, we always keep them all in print. We were about halfway through the
1: recording of our that's new That's what album. I had to ask you about in terms of everything's gone to basically shit this year for yeah. you know, obvious reasons, and it's a new world And for musicians, obviously. That's one of the reasons I want to keep doing the podcast is to try to. Do not
3: say we are all in this together. If I hear that one more time, I'm going to punch somebody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel I I, 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 I yeah. we're all in this separately. There we there go. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. No, that's a much better way to look at it. I feel it's every I hate for empty slogans. for everybody else. You know, well, I, you know, do, <laughs> and, I do hate empty slogans, and, though. And it's like,
1: ap- do something, don't just, we're in this together. In that's
3: whatever. what I, you know. Don't some money, then, if we're in it together. Every <laughs> yeah. public relations firm jumped on this. And it's like, all of a sudden, all these commercials are perfectly, you know, written for the, the whole situation. And you start thinking, okay, so if they can get behind this quickly... Why can't they get behind another message, a better yeah. message? Yeah, that always. And I actually want to do
1: one thing. One of my projects is I want to I want to do a almost a journal of various friends' reactions to this because I have some friends. One of my friends is a very big introvert, and she said, "This is I've never been happier." And you have people who are miserable, and you just I mean, obviously, I can be alone, or you know, I love my friends and people in my life, but I don't mind being alone. It takes my creativity, but some people, are, loneliness is a big thing for some people. You can't really do anything about it. Like, one of my friends, his dad has pancreatic cancer, and he's gonna. we know he's going to pass away, and unfortunately. But he said, how is he going to say goodbye to his grandkids and everything when he can't even see them? So right. there's a lot of human stories in this. But anyways, we're going to, in terms of music, people, you got to think, this is one industry, obviously. People can't do their livelihoods because they can't play out and everything else. You know, so it's one of those things I really try to focus on. But in terms of, to go get with the somber bit there, in terms of your new album, how's it going? Well, we were about
2: halfway, a little less than halfway, probably about 40% of the way through recording it when, when the, the plague hit. Um, I am going to start doing some overdubs next week at my bass player's house. Um, and the plans are, this is going to be a real, real special project. We're going to do a double disc. Uh, a new CD of all originals and a new CD of all covers with guests. And um, uh, we've got some big names for the guests. I don't really want to mention the names because I I don't, the one name I will mention who is firmly committed is uh, June Millington from Fanny is going to play slide guitar on one song. Um, And then there's a few other big names that I don't want to mention until it actually comes to pass because I'd hate to put it out there and they're only about a ninety percent commitment at this point in time. Yeah. So if and it doesn't twenty so. and twenty, and so if it doesn't happen, I don't want people saying, "Yeah, yeah do you hear them saying that." <laughs> so and, and so, there's a couple other names that we think are going to be on it. Um, so you know, I'm pretty excited about that. I'm you know, I'm pretty bummed that it, it, it's been put on hold for so long, and hopefully
1: we're going to be able to I time think one it. of your shows was one of the first ones that got canned during this that I had on my calendar. Oh, I it, think because it was like, we did a, the last podcast we did in March, we had Anonymous Biz, Willpower, is new CD released. That didn't happen. All right. these others, and it sort of went under from there, but I think your show was on my calendar and then it wasn't on the calendar anymore. Yeah, we
2: we, we were, it was going to be the f- uh, celebration of my 50th year in showbiz. And, uh, yeah. But hopefully, we're hopefully the the reschedule of that show will coincide with the release of the new vaccine. And so I have it, to it do, do a double celebration. And I have right. to do
1: also your selling point because you do it all the time. And I think you do it beautifully. There's a deal. The CDs are ten dollars a piece. So one for ten, two for twenty, three for 30, four for forty, or four <laughs> for fifty. Deal in any price. That's right. But
2: <laughs> yeah, and we always do a special order an advance deal and you get something special, like whether it's a t-shirt or, or the lyrics or, or something. I have this bonus CD right here
1: and I also have a pin. Do, do, do you have the uh, the uh, bonus CD from the last one? It's the one with the sounds of silence and everything oh, okay. was that was at your release? Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah um, I picked out of the pumpkin out of the right. head. I guess. I get, you had some great giveaways so I can tell you. <laughs> well,
2: what we're what we're planning to do for this next one is and for the special deals, usually you pay a little bit extra but you get a t-shirt or you get this or you get that. You get a signed edition of the album. For the next one, we're actually going to if people order it and pay for it in advance, they're going to get both discs for 15 instead of 20. Plus there's going to be some original art that we're going to put out with it and um and a lyric sheet and uh 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 Essays on each
1: of the songs I like I actually That's become one of my Favorite things too Is just hearing the stories Behind sometimes something I like how you do that In terms of like With the cover album You wrote like What this meant That was awesome But I think finally Either of you two You could steal this ideal If you ever do a live album After 2020 you <clears> just <throat> have to call Infrared Radiation Orchestra Any of your multiple bands Live Finally All Right <laughs> Yeah <laughs> But you know, This has been very fun I hope you've had a good time being I'm here. out of the house <laughs> Yeah Sure, hope you've enjoyed totally yourself coming great. down, and good to see you. I mean, don't feel that special. It's good to see anybody this year. Uh. And, you know, I've looked at it like we really – until we have a vaccine pretty much you have to live this way yeah. make the best of it i mean you can i'm going to keep doing the show as long as people want to be on and we can well, we're having fun aren't we greg yeah, i am having a blast so i sit here
3: and i observe a lot of i hear a lot of stuff i mean when you mention stuff that i don't know about like and I'll we always get out, the you know?
1: damn i wish i would have said this this episode we'll do it next time yeah. but this is very fun thanks it's really good to see you And I've seen your shows for many, many years. And I still remember the one thing in Seneca the Benefit show with the jugglers and everybody. That was loads of fun. Once I found it with my GPS, which. You haven't played
3: Auburn until you've played the Ukrainian National Club. Uh Yeah. And the thing with Auburn. (laughs) What a blast.
1: I had my GPS set for one gig, it was a Fox 45 gig. They moved. So I went down there, and somehow I found it. My big smartest thing was when I got off the toll, it was Waterloo, when I said, well, I'm the Duke of Wellington, who's Napoleon.
2: Yeah. <laughs> smartest that I I'll, am. I'll tell, I'll tell you, there's a club in, uh, which is pretty much our home base club, there's a club in Auburn called Moondogs. That's where I was going to have my... I'm going to have to go uh, down best, there. Best club. Oh, my God. The nicest people. So freaking supportive of live music. Nice little stage. House drum kit. House PA. Um, And just the best people. And I, and I can
1: tell you one of the things dealing with my dad with dementia these years and when he passed, one of the things that always helped me was I would just pick a gig to go to, and it would be upstate New York, you know, within four miles, and go out there and enjoy it like that. I saw Michaela Davis at a show in, just before this happened, in Albany. But these little clubs like that, that's what I just hope and hope and hope they survive this. Yeah. That's what I can hope. We can just all we can do is you know you can only do what you can and you just hope the best. Quick, but quick plug if I may. No, that's what we're all, now. That's what we're all about. <laughs> I, I need hair plugs, but you guys plug stuff. Uh, great. Uh,
3: um, I got asked by Krypton eighty eight to do their gigs while their drummer is kind of riding out the COVID thing because he has a compromised immune system, so he doesn't want to take any chances. That's, about, that's So anyway, so I'm doing a gig with them in Abilene on the twenty fifth or sixth. That's a Wednesday, whatever that is. So that should, that should be fun. And if you've and never seen James V and them, they're
1: rockabilly, lots, yep. loads of fun, loads of fun. We just and rehearsed. that's the best for him, too, because I think that's the number one thing is safety. You know, you don't um, want to mess with them. Danny, but, plug out to Danny. He's done. I've gone to a couple shows he's done as much of a good job as you can do, this. Right. You know, I mean, he really is. I feel totally safe. And it's up to everybody, too, how you feel. He's
3: one of the few guys that is really making it work, you know. Yeah, it's so. fun to go there, and he gets the people to come out still. So
1: You know, and bless someone like that, but that's really good. Kim, plugs. Yeah. Where do we get a hold of all your fun stuff here? Oh, friend me on
2: Facebook and message What are you going to
1: do? I don't feel special, then, if you friend everybody. Uh, well, <laughs> who said you were that special to begin with? Huh? I, I, always, <laughs> I have a view on my life... The universe is here, you're here, you're shit. <laughs> and that's um, how I go through, you know, the last, that, that's that's, how I the, feel.
2: That, that's the best way to communicate do, and keep yeah. up with the band. And, um, you know, we're, we, we're playing a couple of shows between now and the end of the year, and that's probably going to be it for us. We're playing October 9th and December 4th at, at Moondogs, and and probably just because it is Moondogs, and they're doing ticketed shows uh, at one-third the capacity. Yes. And,
1: now, yeah. they, can you go online? you have to call them and say you're going to like say you're from like i'm from rochester to go down there could you call them and print up your ticket and just say hey you'll know, put me on a list. And yeah i
2: i'm I, I, they'll work with you absolutely they are they are the best um, yeah that's great gonna, and, and no no disrespect to uh, other club owners i love danny also i love playing they're all mean. good they're all like our children but yeah. you have one that's like your favorite yeah that's, that's, that, that's our home base and it has
3: been has been from the get go. I've never played that. I've only played Falcon and the Ukrainian club and FNAS in that area. So I went to I, shows, but I can't remember what the heck the place was. So I, 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 I remember
2: that. about maybe two years ago, and we'd been playing there roughly every other month for a few years, and uh, we were we, no cover charge, and we were getting a three fifty guarantee, and we had an even better than usual night, and uh, oh, she came and paid us, gave us four hundred bucks, and I'm like. Oh, and I, I turned to Heidi and I said, Oh, we got we got a $50 bonus tonight. And Lynn, the owner, stopped in her tracks. And she turned around and she goes, That's not a bonus. That's no. what you guys get. Yeah,
1: shout out money. to Heidi, who's now sure. in Florida. Love and it. and how many Ferry. club
2: owners decide out of the blue? Whereas I will I'm gonna not start paying name you names, more than we agreed. But I've been on. involved
1: right. in some clubs. I remember a band came in from Winnipeg. And they screwed my out of their pay. There are places oh, like that. Oh, absolutely. I'm not going to be names. We're not about that. But a Falcon Ferry, too, because she's in Florida now. Yeah. So bless you in Florida, too, at the moment. Stay safe. But it's up to you. You were our guest. Uh, would you like to play something from this? is your latest album. Pronounce it for me. Somebody. Cool. sumus quad sumus. We yep. are what we are. Yes. <laughs> but would you just random track as we were kind of full of or is Oh, uh,
2: Probably the um, uh, Zontar one.
1: Who does not love Zontar the thing from <laughs> Venus? So this is are you a fan of the movie, hopefully? Well,
2: my my bass player is a big fan of, of Grade Z movies. And he mentioned Zontar, the thing from Venus, and and, and, and so I started announcing that he, he actually plays Zontar, um which he doesn't. But um, and uh so we have a we did an instrumental on one album called Love theme from Zantar, The Thing from Venus. And then this one is The Return of the Son of Zantar or something. And the lyrics for that, you know, I wanted something kind of spacey, kind of Hawkwindish ish when I wrote the song. And I thought, you know, I want kind of spacey lyrics. And everything I wrote just sounded stupid to me. Is there so, any Sun Ra? In- well, let me let me, let me me tell you how I wrote the lyrics. So everything I wrote just sounded stupid. And I thought, why can't I write some cool lyrics that sound like Sun Ra titles? And I thought, well, wait a minute, that's what I'll do. I'll just, I'll just write down a bunch of Sun Ra album titles and string them together, and that'll be the lyrics <laughs> that to the is, song. <laughs> where else can
1: you find Sun Ra mixed with the thing from Venus that looks like a giant carrot? <laughs> and, and,
2: and so the lyrics to that song, all it is is just Sun Ra album titles strung together. So
1: we present Ra. you Zantar, Beyond the Sunrise. And thank you very much, Kim and Greg. Yeah. We'll be back with okay. more guests and more fun. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Okay, thanks. Rock on.
2: See you. It.
0: Outside looking out, the solar myth approach. How angels speak of love, a fireside chat with Lucifer on the other side of the sun. It's after the end of the world when angels speak of love.